Hello and welcome to another comedian's interview for my blog, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 750 comedians and counting over the last 45 years. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, who is the very funny Irish comedian. It's only Jarleth Regan. Yes! <laughs> Hey Richard, Hello, mate. How, how are, are you? you? How are you? Thank you for having me on your uh, lovely blog show. Thank you. Thank you for coming along. It's it's it's. I'm so delighted because I've been a fan for so long. Um, yeah, I'm happy to do it. That you're very kind. Um, the interview is going to last about forty-five minutes to an hour, and it's all going to we'll be about. We'll see. Your, it's all going to be your. <laughs> it's all going to be about your illustrious comedy career. Yeah. So, okay. If we can start right at the beginning and go way back, yeah, I, I believe your first career was in was it advertising and um, you were a, a advertising accounts executive. Is that right? Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was um, definitely in a job I shouldn't have been in. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So how did you become a comedian? Um, I got let go uh, from the job um, and I had been standing on my hind legs trying to make people laugh for years and years and not really knowing that you could do it as a job. Uh, and then uh, I guess I, I started to try it like actually try it properly in comedy clubs right uh, at the comedy cellar in dublin wow. when i was about 22 or three right. I don't maybe 24 um and you know it's a love at first sight thing you just go yeah. oh i love this uh this is the best feeling in the world this is for uh, you. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's why. Yeah, that's why. I, and everyone, uh, anyone asks me, I always go. Uh, you need to get on stage because you will know in the space of a couple of gigs if it's worth it. Yeah, it's, it, it is one of those things. Like it, it rarely, it rarely grows on you. Yeah, and I, I knew early doors. This is what I'd really like to do in my life, but. You, um, you want a lot of people won't allow themselves to do what they want to do with their lives. Well, they they think that's for somebody else. They think, oh, I'm meant to have an office job, and I definitely wanted my parents to be proud of me. As soon as I got over that, <laughs> <laughs> then I was fine. It's a, it's exactly the same with me. I I had an idea for the blog because I'd gone to so many comedy shows. And I thought, I wonder if there's legs in this because I love to go. I love to be part of the audience, as you mm. clearly know, because mm. I've got the trademark laugh and all the rest of it. But um, I just love the experience of going and seeing comedians walk out and within a minute they've got to get an audience reaction. That must be something incredible to, do, to be able to do. Yeah it is the it is the tightrope of it isn't it yeah yeah that uh you it's kill or be killed yeah and uh i think that that's the high wire act or the extreme sport element of it that uh can attract a lot of people to it it can scare a lot of people off it but um yeah that uh, that uh, that opening minute depending on the room <laughs> it can be the can be the end yeah. the end of everything because sometimes if that first minute goes so badly early on in your career that can be the end of the career right whereas other people can be lulled into a false sense of uh a hope <laughs> when they they get a cup they have a decent opener yeah yeah opener like some people have, and so some openers over the years that I've seen, like the opener is better than the rest of the act, but the opener was so good 
that it bought them credit for the next 20 minutes. That's amazing. I actually remember uh, in Cork, uh, in the famous city, city limits club, Oma Dejili uh, ran on stage, tripped, and went headfirst into the microphone. Wow. And uh, completely like no there was no pretense that is just what happened he tripped plowed headlong into it took the mic stand out of it but because it's omid everyone assumed that's the greatest opening i've ever seen to wow. a show and he nearly got a standing ovation in the first minute like within 10 seconds of going on stage people were on the floor wow. and uh <laughs> the next night the he just went on normally and did his act and the booker said why didn't you do the opener <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um that goes, yeah that, that goes that, well that's your question that yeah, goes, you, your uh, yeah. your opening minute is the real it's the beginning and the end for a lot of people it is it is daunting to watch when it goes well and it and you mm. really feel for them when they run on and they give you a line mm. and they think it's funny and it's not and the audience aren't laughing you, you must have seen a lot of deaths yeah. in your time oh mate and you're and, and you're so willing them on to <laughs> yeah. get better and better and better and they do you know to be fair yeah, to nobody them, dies when you're in the room though richard there's always you <laughs> all all i do all i do if i if i don't find anything funny is sit in silence <laughs> oh. But, but uh, yeah, you're you have an ability though to see the humour in things and well, get what people are attempting to yeah. do. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's probably why you're people's most beloved audience member because oh, well, you're very kind. That's, that's even really when they're kind they're trying out new, untested stuff, they know at least I'll have Richard on my side. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first started. Were you doing like five minute spots in pubs with friends going along or how did you get into the rhythm of it all? Well, the scene over in Ireland at that time was very small and still is small, right. but it was it was booming compared to what it used to be the prior to uh, 2004 when I was really getting going. Um, there was only two clubs, maybe three in the whole country. Uh, but at that time, there was pubs popping up, clubs everywhere at the time. It was a real Celtic Tiger boom going on. Everyone seemed to have surplus cash. So uh, there was it was a great way of pubs keeping people in the, in the room. Uh, another reason to have the place packed the rafters on a Wednesday night. And uh, so there was endless numbers of places that were looking for free comics, yeah, you know, yeah. that would come in and at least do five minutes to uh, just, you know, bulk out the show because there was only so many comics in the country. Of course, yeah. They couldn't keep booking the same people over and again, even though many of them did. Like a lot of these places would book the same acts month to month. Uh, there wouldn't be that much turnover. Uh, everyone would play most places once a month. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, roughly. And yeah, I was very much the open spot guy for a while and that was when I was really experimenting really really trying to figure out well, what do I do here and I did actually start out doing one-liners right. just you know uh, Rob uh, uh, Gary Delaney type right. um, Stephen Wrighty Super, I was obsessed yeah. with yeah Mitch Hedberg was my favorite comedian at the time wow. and uh, like weirdly this very hard thing to do yeah. I mean it is the hardest one it's the, I reckon it's the hardest way to go about doing stand-up is to try and make every sentence you say funny right uh, and you need to handcraft each one of those lines like a piece of crystal and I probably had three jokes <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, well, like, no, there were other jokes, but the, there was only three that could be could, would yeah. cross the, the, the bar of oh. joke to be considered jokes. So it was a struggle, definitely. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I do remember dropping that act. I do remember dropping it and going, I'm just going to 
try and talk here to the audience yeah. and tell stories. And that was when that kind of change took place was when I kind of accepted that this isn't going well in front of an audience. This is not going well. And they agreed. Oh, <laughs> but, they, but that's the thing, though, about it. Like when you're when it's not going well, if you as a comic don't admit it or yeah. address it, the audience can think you're deluded. Uh, so in some ways, I got my biggest laughs from admitting that this isn't how this was meant to go and talking about how I pictured this going. And then I guess that that just led to becoming more comfortable with actually telling a bit more of the truth about yeah, yeah. You know, my life and stuff. A, a classic example, thinking of that, that comes to mind is Les Dawson, because he tried and yeah. tried and tried and tried. And then mm. one night he, he committed the cardinal sin and went up on stage drunk and started <sighs> getting laughs as he as he was being honest and truthful. He was one of the mm. first acts I ever saw live. Really? Oh, in the 70s. He yeah, was man, you've seen everybody. Yeah, yeah. He, he was yeah. extraordinary. I saw him and Tommy Cooper in the same year. It was, it was amazing. Wow. Um, but as you went on with your career, you reached the fi you, you were reaching a lot of comedy finals. You reached the final mm. of So You Think You're Funny, the Charles mm. Student Comedy Award, and BBC and Channel 4 New Comedy Awards. Tell me more about mm. these experiences. What was it like being in competitions? Well, that was, you know, that was prior to leaving one-liners behind. Yeah. Uh, that was all one-line jokes that got me to the finals of right. those things. And um, in a way, those competitions are set up to benefit, to the benefit of the one-line merchant, the joke teller. Right. Uh, seven minutes isn't long enough to tell a story. Seven minutes isn't long enough to say hello doing the act that I do now. And, uh, at that time, I just tried to cram in as many one-liners as I could into the seven minutes. And that way, just by sheer, you know, averages, just the number of hits, I reckoned I'd be in with a better chance. I kind of probably... Well, all those competitions, all those competitions I was in with uh, people like my my class. They always talk about the class that you were in. Um, Zoe Lyons was wow. in the BBC semi-final that year. Same same heat as uh, Roisin Connaughty. Wow. Uh, yeah, and then Russell Kane was in the final. So you think you're funny with oh, me with Kristen Causland. Oh. And yeah, and um, funny, the So You Think You're Funny group, me, Chris McCausland and Russell Kane were the only, oh, and Andrew Lawrence were the wow. only ones that really kind of kept going at it, uh, which was rare enough. And then in the BBC one, Lee Malone uh, and uh, yeah, again, Andrew Lawrence yeah. was in there. He, he won that, I think. But, uh, you know, it, oh, the weird thing about those those things, they're so counterintuitive because, as you as you know better than anyone, comedy isn't a competition. Yeah. And it can't, it can't really be measured that way. But your first introduction to it is these things that are forcing you to jump through this hoop of fire in front of all these really important, influential people. And it becomes... Um, it become it, certainly for me. I don't know what it does for everyone else. For me, it became a bit of a, a bit of a stone around your neck because you couldn't spread your wings in preparation for these shows because you had to work on your seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. So the very next thing, and I know that Tom Rigglesworth talks about this. The very next thing that happens is that you're in the finals of these things, and then they go right, come down here and do, uh, do twenty. And you're like, well, I've only been working on my seven. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're, you're a bit no, like... No, I've only got oh, seven. Oh, this wasn't actually preparation <laughs> for anything. This is more uh, just for this one dog show. And <laughs> um, I definitely struggled after that. And that was what precipitated the change. Was going, well, that's that's not that's not who I am. That was what, what I needed to get to the final of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, that said... It was a really great way of getting out of Ireland and just seeing what was on offer 
other places. It would be a full, nearly full 10 years before I left Ireland. Wow. Uh, or I built up the courage to do it, to leave Ireland um, after that. Whereas probably the smart thing to do would have been to just fling yourself into the circuit here. But I definitely wasn't ready at that point. No, I just no. emotionally, <laughs> maturity and creatively, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready at all yeah. for it. But uh, got here eventually, made it in the end. <laughs> Very, no, no, it's, a, it's that that was a great answer because um, what what you did do, as you say, you went on to storytelling. And what I love about you is that you you build up a story very, very mm. humorously. And you have so many killer punchlines that, that, that really hammer the story home. Thanks, Richard. And, and it just builds and builds and builds. And, and you're one of the best at doing that. You really are. I'm and, really glad I did this part. This, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I needed to hear that. It's, it's, it's very true. <laughs> um, to date, what has been your best and worst comedy gig and why? Well, I have this thing about the bad ones that I uh, delete them from the hard drive and then delete them from the trash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and set the sensible. laptop on fire and move house. <laughs> uh, I definitely went through a period of completely erasing the bad memories right. and only holding on to the good ones uh, because I thought it was a survival thing. And loads of comics have this as well. They're like, you wouldn't go into work if you thought about the bad days at work. They have to focus on the good ones in order to, to make it across yeah, yeah, this assault yeah, course. Yeah. Um, I do remember doing, that said, I do remember doing a corporate event in Dublin in front of a who's who of entertainment celebrities at the Four Seasons Hotel, uh, where my set went so badly that the organiser uh, during the set, walked from the back of the room towards the stage, doing the oh, next no. thing uh, <laughs> oh, to me man. on stage, and uh, I thought she was joking. Um, <laughs> I knew it was going badly. I, got, I had ears, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I just couldn't believe the rudeness. That like, is that was rude. The, Very it, rude. Rude. It's like, let me die. Like I did think I'm gonna go down here, but let me die on my own terms, and maybe I'll pull it back. I was That's just the other thing: say, is the lack of faith. Yeah, because you know, you and I both know that sometimes when a comic is dying, that's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, especially if they're able to then turn it. Exactly. No, I definitely yeah. didn't have the ability to turn the ship around at that point in my life, but I do remember being like, "Oh, you really had no faith in me, did you?" <laughs> when she when she did that. Um, but I don't, I really don't like talking about those. those no, like I, I don't blame you because yeah, you like, have to be positive to go and do it. <laughs> you have to, I mean, um, in my, in my blog, I, I refer to you all as brave heroes because that's what you are. You're facing uh, an audience every night of complete strangers and you mm. just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And look, Richard, the other thing is that I've, I've done shows where I talk about gigs in prisons, gigs for yeah. toddlers. Everyone has their, their, their really tough moments up there. And to some, to some extent, it's a bit self-indulgent to talk about the bad ones as much as it is to talk about the good ones, because, you know, what are you saying when you talk about the bad ones? You're saying, I am so tough look at me i went through this and i'm still here to tell the story yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but it, you know the, the the reason why bad stories get so, told so much is because the good ones like who wants to hear about it yeah like who wants to hear about how and then they really laughed yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um like the only the only really really memorable big great nights up there are the nights when you're doing something new yeah yeah and yeah. you're taking risks and you're going i don't know if this is going to work but we'll see and 
those nights happen at places like ABC and Old Rope uh, or in, in tiny little places where you're like, I'm going to chance this tonight. And it really is swinging for the fences. That To me, when those come off, that's way more enjoyable yeah, than yeah. the big stressful night yeah. in Leicester Square Theatre when you've got the finished show and you're just yeah. trying to perform it in the best way you can on that particular night. If you've got to me, new material is the is the is the is the great moment. I was going to say, if you've got a, a perfect room to practice your new material, you can't go wrong. Um, I also mm. think as well, the other thing is confidence. I've 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 told this story to many a comedian I've interviewed, but um, uh, I once had a go at stand-up comedy. Um, I know the um, uh, the guy who runs the Free Fringe. Mm. in Edinburgh and uh, he said I can put you on uh, on stage and a gong show uh, and it's but it's for old people so that so there's only people in the audience on a Monday afternoon and I went yeah yeah I'll do it so I wrote this script and I read it to him and he said that's brilliant and I walked out there's three people in the audience and the first thing I said was uh, good afternoon ladies and gentlemen People think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And one old bloke at the back just went, fuck off and gum me off. And I walked off to my own footsteps. Oh, I had no idea that you tried it. <laughs> you I tried. No I, I actually had another go and the same similar thing happened. And I said to the chap, I don't know about me being a comedian, never say never, but I will support them forevermore. <laughs> and you, it is extraordinary the, the the answers that I get to that particular question. Really? Yeah, they're all they're all. Um, uh, it's either confidence, it's either um, nerves. I'm going to come on to nerves in a minute because you, you it's like combating a, a, a fear, but when it mm. works, it's incredible. It, it is like a drug. You know, mm. they, say, they say infamously, it's like a drug laughter. Um, yeah. We're going to move on to Edinburgh, the Edinburgh yeah. Festival. What was your Edinburgh, your first Edinburgh Fringe like? And what year did you go? So the first one I did was 2007. Right. Um, but I'd obviously been up a couple of times for the So You Think You're Funnies and yeah. uh, to have a snoop around like most people do. Uh, but my first run was in 2007. Right. How was it? Um, you know, <sighs> <laughs> that good. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's bananas, really, yeah. when you consider why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely had a warped vision of the world at that point in my life what was and what was the show you took up the first one so the show was called nobody knows charlotte regan right. and at the same time i had won a grant from the irish government right. to make a documentary about irish comedy at the edinburgh fringe right uh so with the documentary, I posed as my own agent in full disguise, attempting to blag things around the fringe and try and get behind velvet ropes. And yeah. I managed to get myself a few passes and press dealies. But like I was as green as the fresh grown grass compared to the, you know, the runs I've had up there in 2016 and 17 in particular yeah. uh, where I would have regarded myself as a seasoned veteran of the festival yeah. by that point 10 years later I was a numbskull going up there <laughs> absolutely but completely flying blind yeah. absolutely no guidance whatsoever booked into a 39 degree room at the Gilded Balloon uh, <laughs> Karen Karen uh, being lovely to me she but, is yeah, yeah uh, but I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what I was doing on stage or off stage oh, okay. I was also uh, I figured out in around 2009 
not to drink up there was the was one of the cheat codes for the festival was to hold off drinking until the final night. Uh, had I known that in two thousand and seven, who knows what would have happened? But I I I drank heavily up there that first yeah. year, like so many people, thinking that this was the thing to do, and. Uh, I made every mistake there was to make, oh, man. Uh, but I know for a fact that I got a lot better. I, and I mean, that's the I'm main reason for going. I'm just going to say again, it's experience, isn't it, of yeah, going through yeah, this? Yeah. yeah, but you know, it, when you think about how different the festival is since then, uh, and even at that time they were going, oh, the festival's not what it used to be. Uh, it's it's night and day to, to what <laughs> it was then yeah. and yet there are these dinosaurs of the festival that are still hanging around uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not not the people but just the institutions yeah. and the things yeah. that you're expected to do that are regarded as rites of passage I'm 40 years old now I was 26 going up there wow. and you know I never thought I'd say those words even because when you're 26, 40 seems so far away, but I am <laughs> still the same person, <laughs> still the same person, but still, yeah. I mean, if I had a DeLorean, oh my God, <laughs> I'd have to sit that lad down for, uh, you know, a month to drill it into him. You're yeah. doing this all wrong. And that, you know, these are the things that need to be focused upon. <laughs> but like, the other thing, Richard, about the fringe is, unfortunately, it is driven by greed. Yeah. It is, it is kind of been colonized by greed. And while there is a spirit of creativity, you know, like so many things in this world, that's been leaped over by the commercial um, uh, drive and uh, opportunism of big business and that that essentially exploits optimism and yeah. hope and and that that can leave you feeling a little bit grubby and certainly a little bit like you've been taken advantage of and that goes for the top to the bottom like I know the biggest acts have said that to me too yeah they felt totally, that way i totally agree with you because um i go every year it's my holiday and I, and and i go up there for a week and i see over 50 shows and i have a great time and loads of friends go up with me um but when i first started my first one was 2005 and i'm 53 never mind 40 i'm 53 now so i'm you gonna be like, gonna be like the michael evis of uh, the end <laughs> of fringe if i keep going you know be there when i'm 80 being be wheelchair around um but when i first went one of my favorite places in the world is the pleasant courtyard mm. but even that over the years that i've gone has become a lot more commercialized and i think it ruins the spirit of it because mm. there is such an atmosphere there to start with you don't need all the um mm. advertising and all the rest of it that that is is every year seems to be oh where's that space and where's this piece and where's that part and so i completely agree with you with mm. with, with, with what you're saying and, and 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 i think there should still i think there always will be but i think there should always be the the, the spirit of the fringe should always come first definitely definitely couldn't yeah. put it better yeah um i saw and loved your very successful solo show organ freeman and you know how much i loved it tell mm. me more about this inspirational story and tour um it's uh it was a show i wrote in 2017 uh about the experience of donating a kidney to my brother in the United States of America. And it, more than that, it was a story of family, uh, sacrifice, relationships, love, and uh, marriage, and what secrets mean and what secrets become 
what it is to be a good guy and what it is to be taken advantage of and what it is to feel like you're forever chasing that legacy of soundness that I talked about in the show, this belief that I want people to think I was a good guy when I die. And really, that's the nuts and bolts of it. But it was a long kind of monologue about the experience and the back and forth of deciding to do it when all arrows pointed towards not doing it. Yeah. When, when everything in my life said, you should let someone else do this, uh, doing it nonetheless and coming out the other side. Well, from my point of view, I, th I thought it was a very, very personal story that you told and you were very, very brave to tell it, but you told it with such humor and warmth that I thought, I think genuinely in, and I mean this, in all the shows I've seen as a whole show, it was one of the greatest shows I ever saw. No, man, that means a lot because, uh, you know, I was massively proud of that yeah. uh, show and, you know, I really took a swing. Yeah. You know, you can take a, a swing at writing a show like that and people can really just murder it and go, yeah, I tried, but she fucked that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you, were, you, you aimed high, but you weren't up to the challenge. And definitely I felt like I had tried yeah. to swing for the fences on another occasion uh, and I got her, I just didn't have the chops. Uh, this time around, like you say, I... I, I, I took the risk and went all in. Um, you, you know, I'm immensely proud of the show is the, is the truth of it. And I know that uh, the feedback from that show and the, mm. just like the response from individuals yeah. was more, like I say, it was more gratifying than any uh, thing in terms of the industry that I could have got from it. Yeah. But uh, that is the case. Like what that was, is the what case. Was, what was definitely um, noticeable watching you perform it was um, uh, you were, how proud you were of, of doing it. And you could see because you were so proud of doing it, it went up on a pedestal and, and, and mm. it went up another level. And the mm. crowds, because I, I saw it twice. I saw it in Edinburgh and I saw it at the Leicester Square Theatre. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, it's very rare I go and see the same show twice um, <laughs> for, to start with. But the, the Leicester Square crowd especially, standing ovation and deservedly yeah, so. No. It, it, it was an extraordinary, not just comedy show, but piece of work. You know, very uh, thanks, man. Uh, like I say, I'm really glad I did this uh, yeah. chat. Yeah, <laughs> I needed no, no. this, um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, what can you say? Yeah. It was, um, it was, um, it was you, once in you, a lifetime experience. Were you nervous before that particular show? Do you get nervous before you go on stage at all? I was very nervous about yeah. that show, yeah. and to this day, uh, I, I'd be nervous about that show. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's probably a good sign. Yeah, it is. I no, think too. so. Yeah, I think you have to have a certain degree of nerves mm. anyway. But you're not really taking any risks if yeah. you're not nervous. Yeah. Um, I I got uh, very anxious about the show the previous year because it contained kind of, you know, personal stories yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, I felt like. But I have a bit of a thing with, and I had a bit of a thing with. Uh, people thinking they have ownership over what I do. Uh, that, you know, thing of people going, you can't say that, <laughs> you know, and this is quite an That's Irish thing. It's like, yeah. you're not allowed to say that. You can't, sure, who are you to be talking about exactly. that? And um, I'm very much now at a very much better place with that because I'm like, well, that was my experience of it. So... Yeah. You know that's mine. Good for you, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can't, you can't take that away from no. me because that's mine. Uh, and I have to be allowed own that. 
uh, and uh, I get I uh, in the in the more general sense of nerves, like as in, oh God, I'm going to go on stage. I never get that at all. No. I never get that. I get excited before That's going brilliant. on. Yeah, but yeah. I never ever ever get. Oh shit! I don't want to do this. Uh, oh my god! Like, <laughs> but, like I've been around like do. people that do. Like, <laughs> I, I remember uh, tour support for Ardell Hanlon, and he was like, you know, getting sick and you know, right. sweating and wow. pacing the room and really freaking out before going on. But in some ways, that became his process at the time. He's like yeah. one of my good friends, yeah. and that was part of how he prepped for going on. Which I just couldn't do. My heart couldn't do. For me, b b before you go on, the looser you are, the better. The more uh, uh, completely at home in your own skin you are, the better. My style is very much like I could finish talking to you and walk on because it doesn't change. There's no, there's no uh, flipping of a switch or a different persona being adopted. Uh, the there's just more punchlines. That's the magic exactly of it, though. Like it's just, it, you're so laid back, you're almost <laughs> flat, and it's wonderful <laughs> to see. It really is. In fact, yeah, I have been lying down more on, <laughs> on stage. Before before they took away gigs, I, I enjoyed lying on the stage for a while. Yeah. Uh, and it, it suited me a lot, yeah, lying yeah. down, delivering the jokes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, you've written for and appeared on TV. Are there any differences between television comedy as opposed to stand-up comedy? Uh, well, there one one would be a greyhound, and the other would be a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect answer. <laughs> the golden retriever yeah. is the stand-up comedy. <laughs> Hundred percent. It, yeah. uh, it, it loves you back yeah and uh it's it, it doesn't it's got so many tricks up its sleeve it will save your life and uh it will uh break your heart yeah uh, it will retrieve things for you uh but a greyhound just wants to go straight yeah after one thing and doesn't give two shits about anything else. Now, Greyhound owners will tell you, oh no, they're very loving dogs. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think the analogy stands up that, you know, TV is uh, get get to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, you can go for a leisurely Sunday walk with uh, your golden retriever stand-up. <laughs> uh, how do you remember uh, your all your routines? How do you uh, remember? Great difficulty. With great, great <laughs> Uh, I, I definitely have a, have a poor memory right. and uh, I've had notes on stage for a long, long time right. uh, to it's repetition is the main thing. Yeah. And then uh, I remember Tommy Tiernan saying to me, you have to forget it all before you go on and then remember it as you're saying it. And that way it remains spontaneous. Uh, and that's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received um, because that allowed me to go oh yeah and then there's that thing now Something then there'll good, be times yeah. when you go i can't remember what it was yeah it was meant to come next there uh, but that keeps it fresh mm -hmm. uh, but when it's a story like uh, the organ freeman show when it's a story like that it's a bit trickier because as you remember with a show like that if you left a bit out, the whole show's fucked. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And I definitely had that experience a couple of times where wow. I was like, oh, I never mentioned that. Wow. I should have mentioned that now. That's then this next joke would have made sense. Wow. But uh, it's it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's an it hour and half of jokes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's like, it's a long, long time to be talking. Yeah, 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 it is, it is. Especially with all those distractions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I used to be a civil servant and I was on a training course one day and uh, they said um, you you will be um, recorded um, teaching somebody how to do something and I, the only thing I thought I could teach somebody was the only card trick I ever knew 
And when mm. I got up and stood in front of the video camera, I forgot it. <laughs> oh. oh, God. So, you, I've been there. <laughs> oh, my God. But I can't think of anything worse than that. That's, oh, listen, you can't even finesse your way out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I did rehearse and I did learn. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> oh. Anyway. So, um, you have a very, very successful podcast, An Irishman Abroad. Thank you. Feel free to tell me all about it. <laughs> um, it started out as me not knowing how to live away from home. And right. knowing that loads of Irish people had moved here yeah. and had done so successfully. Yeah. I happened to have a lot of their phone numbers yeah. <laughs> and uh, many of them I didn't and I just chanced my arm, will you talk to me? And it was started in 2013 before podcasts really took off. So it was a kind of a, a novelty to get a call from a random person to go, will you do my podcast? So I probably benefited from that early in the beginning. But they became what I started out with the idea of doing funny conversations with all these people. And then I realized that, you know, crowbarring in jokes makes for poor conversation so i ended up just doing kind of deep dive conversations with these people about their lives and uh everyone said yes and in this in the space of a a year i'd done like 50 of the most successful irish people ever to have left ireland oh, from dylan moran to sharon horgan yeah uh, ex-prime ministers and yeah, presidents yeah. and stuff so uh I, I, I don't know. It's it's ever since like that's 2013. Now we're eight years down the road. Well, and it's, it's an got... extraordinary success for you. It really is because every week I look at it and I thought, oh my god, I I, I haven't heard about his career or her career, and it's fantastic to listen to. It's Thanks, so man. good, and you do it so well. Um, it's three times a week now as yeah, well. So yeah, it's yeah, a full yeah, time, uh, full time it expedition. Really is. And and. And in a way, I, I haven't. Um, I, di I didn't come to London from Ireland. My my home city is Carlisle, okay. and I I've been in London for twenty five years. And but the first four or five years was tough because you don't know anybody when you come to a new city, yeah. and uh, you have to build the rela build the friendships and the relationships, etc. And I could the similarities in your podcast to me coming to London uh, was wonderful to listen to. Oh, so, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. that. Um, you've also written a book, "How to Break Bad News." Yeah, two books actually. Yeah, you've got um, two now. Yeah, um, well, they were re released in quick succession, yeah. one after the other. They yeah. were drawings. They were oh, the drawing. Yeah, one of yeah. the first things that I did on stage when I stopped doing one-liners was I took the one-liners and I put them in the form of greeting cards uh, for situations this, yeah. that modern greeting card companies aren't currently catering for, was yeah. the tagline. And they were really just off-colour, bizarre, weird <laughs> squiggle drawings of stick men doing different things, presenting <laughs> scenarios and situations that were truly upsetting and weird you have to send <laughs> yeah. me one for my birthday <laughs> yeah yeah no i've got uh, like i've so many of them lying around here because uh, uh like i still make them brilliant the cards still exist the books are still available yeah. on uh, ebay now yeah. and amazon and the cards themselves have morphed into something else but they're still going uh and I guess I had always wanted to be an animator, illustrator, art guy That's brilliant. Uh, as a child. Uh, so I'm, it gives me immense satisfaction to know that I managed to make some part of my career out of, out of drawing. That's fantastic. It really is. Um, when uh, the, the reason I mentioned the books is um, I, I wanted to um, try and find out from you about your writing process for both the book and writing a stand-up routine. Mm. Do you have a writing process? Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's changed, changed over time. Uh, the, very much the the books, obviously, were, were drawing, so there's yeah. no comparison there. But they, um, the process of writing, 
yeah. is um, it, it just changes year on year depending on what it is you're writing. I mean, right. With the story show like Oregon Freeman, it was a case of uh, drafting and redrafting and then uh, literally writing out the story long form and trying to punch it up and figure out where the laughs lie, where the twists should be and what information should be held back. Um, whereas with a show like Notions 11, the last show I wrote, yeah. um, which will soon be available for everybody to download oh, man. Uh, on that a streaming platform. I yeah. can't say which one yet. <laughs> and that is uh, that was a show just about now. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do as a show about the present day. Uh, so in that case, it was 100% trying to just find the funniest Focus on bits now. and pieces. Yeah. And yeah, and then stitch them together in a coherent way. Uh, but I like, I'm always trying to learn to be better at that because there's no right or wrong. And no. no one should be lecturing anybody on it yeah. because some people are literally um, at the desk all day long and others would lose their mind doing that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way they couldn't write unless they walk the dog yeah, for yeah. three hours a day. Yeah. Uh, so no one can tell anyone how to do it. No, no. Um, we're all living in strange times. It's a horrible time. Um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to live gigs? Because you're currently doing Return of the Crake, which I love. Um, do you like... Crack. I've got crack. See? That's my northernness yeah, coming yeah. through. Uh, yeah, Return of the Crack. crack. The, the answer to your question is I didn't like the sound of online comedy one bit. Uh, I was as sceptical as the next man. Uh, I was like, oh... <laughs> that would be terrible. Why well, I couldn't imagine anything worse. And then um, James Gill, our mutual friend, was like, give it a try and you can just talk to me if you like. And I was like, that did it. Not so bad. It wasn't too bad. And there was always Richard, Richard Gill laughing <laughs> in the front row. And, uh, but I was like, this is actually okay. Uh, then I got asked to host a show online um, for Happy Shark Comedy in Luton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my good friend Adam there. And that went very well. And I was like, that's actually, that actually made me believe, okay, that this isn't stand-up as we know it. But it is a way, it is performing through a new media and medium mm. and uh, I think ever since then I've been on a kind of a journey to figure out that if this is where comedy is going to exist for a while then can we do it well can we is there a oh way my god you can uh, yeah there is a yeah. way yeah. yeah, yeah, like it is doable. Yeah, but you, it requires. It is like saying, "Can I read a newspaper on a unicycle?" Yeah, uh, of course, of course you can. Loads of people who ride unicycles would be like, "But why would you want to?" Yeah, or loads of people that read newspapers would be like, "What are you doing? Why would you do that?" Yeah, just don't bother with the unicycle. But if we don't bother with the unicycle in this situation, we won't get to read the newspaper. Yeah. They, 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 the online comedy has got me through the lockdown. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I, That's I, the thing, though, Richard. It's like the yeah. impact of it is way bigger. Yeah. Than stand up, stand up. Yeah. The, yeah. the return on your effort. Yeah. From the individual responses that you receive from people afterwards. Yeah. Is like tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. what you would have got if you were in a room of 100 yeah. people in a pub plus as well anybody can go because they they they, they just dial in but um uh, the the argument is obviously you can't beat a live performance of course i do not. i do miss so yeah. much going to a comedy club but but this this environment is fantastic yeah and but also there, you know? yeah like if you think about it um 
Michael McIntyre performing in the O2 mm. is no substitute for Michael McIntyre performing in the Comedy Store. Yeah. This is night and day. Yeah. He's completely riding a gigantic mechanical horse of comedy. <laughs> Yeah. When he's in the O2. <laughs> Whereas when he's in the comedy store, he's doing dressage. And the nuance and detail and opportunity to do little things and interact in a way that he'd never be able to in the O2. It is night and day. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that he shouldn't do the O2? No, of course not. Of course not. And if, if, if the comedy store went away and the O2 was all that was available, would we say that you shouldn't play there? Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a unprecedented situation as we all know, <laughs> but, uh, there's, there's a lot more to this an online thing than people yeah, realize. I put an awful lot of money and time into figuring out how to make it look and sound and feel good. And, it's, and not try and get it to replicate the live, live yeah. show. Yeah. But I am at the moment trying to write an hour of stand-up that can be for, performed via Zoom. Wow. Specifically for each town that I go to. Oh, so we mate, can say, I'm looking forward to that. We do a Liverpool Charlotte Regan show. Oh, and it's all about Liverpool. It contains my stand-up, but it's all about Liverpool. That's brilliant. And in that way, you can tour the world. That's brilliant. You should try a Carlisle one. <laughs> Carlisle, there it sounds. That's where they... Give it, yes, don't. <laughs> that is where they... That's what the three books um, are, man. Talking about... Uh, are you all right? Yeah, I just yeah. had to pick something up there. No, no, it's fine. Um, um, yeah. Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? I would have started out loving Emma um, Chedberg. Yeah. And Stephen Wright. Yeah, uh, he's brilliant. Zach Galifianakis when he was doing stand-up. Um, and then I probably moved on to Dylan Moore and Jerry oh, Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Rock and... Uh, Dave Chappelle, John Mulaney, uh, Eugene Merman. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. yeah um, I mean, I do now have like a very broad palette in that I can enjoy nearly everyone and appreciate everyone's work. You like me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't. I think that the snobbery in in going uh, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. not. Yeah. You know, I I find McIntyre's ability and his skills oh, extraordinary. In the same way, uh, Jim Gaffigan or uh, Bill Burr, yeah. these guys all have their own thing, and I think that you know, if you love football. You can appreciate a good defender just as much as a good striker, and this thing is so diverse. There's like that's the magic of it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like Maria Bamford is someone that I would have loved for so long, and just been just like blown away by the ability uh, to to do what she does, uh, and that like that kind of. Uh, you can't like that if you like that. Yeah. I have no time for that at all. Yeah. I'll like whatever the fuck I like. Yeah. <laughs> when I like it. Yeah, too right. There'll be days when I, when I don't, I can't take Bill Burr. There'll be days when I'm like, I can't have that in my life right now. I would like some Mighty Boosh, please. And that's, you know, that to me is the place that we want comedy audiences to go, is to a place where they can go, uh, feed me some comedy. Yeah. And, and how I will find it uh, funny, not in comparison to. Uh, and then in some ways, those competitions, they feed that idea in the general public's mind that there is a, a hierarchy mm. of good and not good. 
And obviously everyone objectively has some idea of what is good and what isn't good, but uh, they're definitely, once you reach a certain path, a certain bar, there's something to be said for nearly everyone who's oh, making a, a dime. That's why I'm writing the blog, my friend. There is a, there is a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away. Mm. And it's the top 25 who have either sadly passed on or haven't had a chance to see. Mm. And uh, top of the list is Morecambe and Wise. I would have loved mm. to have seen them. But Bob Monkhouse, Dave Allen is in there. Oh, I, I wow. almost had a chance to go and see him. Oh, the king. Uh, oh, uh, he was extraordinary. And, mm. and for me, all the times that I go, and I've gone so many times, um, hold so many memories as well. Yeah. And, and and I've got a remarkable, I can remember yeah, instances clearly. where I was and, and I, can, I can remember to this day Rick Mayle in Carlisle and he was extraordinary and he jumped on stage, his trousers exploded and he threw somebody out, threw somebody out of the crowd. That, the confidence for that was extraordinary. Unbelievable. And, 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 you know, I mean, I could pick, that's just one from thin air. Um, mm. Moving on very swiftly, because we are nearly done. Um, like me, do you go to a lot of comedy shows as a member of the audience? No. <laughs> Everybody I've said, <laughs> I've asked that question too. But said here's no. the thing. <laughs> I, I do watch a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you think about it, if you worked in a pub, you wouldn't go to pubs. No. I know uh, I I can't remember the last show I paid into. Right. Um, I honestly can't remember. Do you? Uh, like do you, it may if, even have been Jerry Seinfeld in Dublin right. a few years right. ago. Uh, if, if if you're hosting a show, for example, you're obviously there, do you, mm. and, and you watch all the acts, obviously, because yeah. that's your job. But but yeah. if you're on a bill, do you stay and watch all the acts that are on the bill as or much you... as i can yeah yeah as yeah. much as i can back when that was how the whole thing worked yeah as much as i could i would do that but the difficulty of you know having a family and course, living yeah. not right in the center of london uh i live a little bit further out yeah uh, meant that a lot of the time i'd have to bail right. and similarly if i was uh, but like to me, that's heaven. Yeah. When you're in somewhere like Birmingham Glee and the whole night is just about these four acts being together and if they get on and appreciate each other's work and it's, you yeah. just have that time together, it's heaven. It's heaven. Yeah. Uh, the hang, you know, that's what they talk about, that it's all about the hang. It's not about the time on stage at all. It it's is actually exactly. about the togetherness. It's getting together and having a great time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> Uh, Nate Bargatze <laughs> had an amazing joke about uh, how his wife said, uh, uh, <laughs> you never laugh at my jokes. And he said, I hang out with comedians. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just not going to, like, and that is, like, there, there is some truth in that. Yeah, like, Tina, yeah, my yeah. wife, is, is exceptionally funny, but, you know, the, the hangout backstage with people that are professionally funny is... Um, other it's other levels uh, fun oh, and I silly can imagine. And, I can imagine. You, you know and also the, just the level of you know just being nobody is going to get it or understand <laughs> the trials and tribulations of it like another comic yeah with all due respect richard you're probably the closest anyone else will come who's a non-comedian <laughs> uh, but uh being able to talk to other aliens is heaven uh, to the point where i remember being at an embassy event uh with uh, ardle was there right and uh i was talking to him in the corner of the irish embassy in dublin uh, in london and roisin Connolly came in and she was had a glass of something in her hand and was kind of looking around with a sheer panic uh, on her face <laughs> like like nearly like she looked like she'd lost her phone and handbag right uh, except she had both in her hands <laughs> and uh i knew what, what was going on she couldn't find any other aliens and then she saw us and uh sprinted across the room just because it's like 
you don't there's there's no um there's no need to pr to try or yeah, pretend yeah. that uh the, there's uh, it's such a peculiar way to make a living and to live your life it's a wonderful that, um, way though yeah and yeah uh, I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else well, and that's please, why, please like I said, these online gigs yeah. are why I'm like, we we have to fight for them. Right. We have to fight for those online gigs. Yeah. And yeah. not deride them and not say things like, ugh, I couldn't imagine anything worse. If you're a comedian that can, can support themselves through a pandemic for this yeah. length of time, yeah, yeah. without doing them, you owe it to the comedians that can't make it through without doing them to do those shows so that people will give them some credibility and go and uh, very much so yeah yeah and sustain the, the live comedy yeah man it's been a, such a pleasure to talk to you thank you so and much you, for my friend um, this chat. just before we go is there anything else you'd like to say uh where can you be found on social media is there any online gigs we've mentioned return of the crack yeah return of the crack.com is the way to yeah. buy tickets to those shows and you know as well as anyone, we've had crazy lineups, including Joe Wilkinson, Ramesh Ranganathan, yeah. Joe Caulfield, uh, Catherine Bowart, uh, uh, who's on this week, uh, John Hastings, Stephen Bailey, Brennan Reese, yeah. and uh, lots, lots more booked in. Really, really, those are, these are fun shows. They're brilliant. Uh, and the man. podcast is available everywhere, obviously, and yeah. I'd love people to listen to that. Uh, but again, uh, thank you, Richard. Thanks for my always pleasure. supporting live comedy. I could I could talk to you all night, my friend. I've thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it. Thanks you're, a lot, man. You're, you're one of my very favourite comedians. And